Oh no, there's another squad attacking. Welcome to the Third Party Podcast, your weekly Apex Legends podcast brought to you by Crossover Media. I'm your host, Shay, joined by my co-host, Henry. Henry, how you doing in this busy, busy time? This is what we've been waiting for. I'm very excited for this episode, this season. It's definitely a good time to be playing Apex. Yep. Uh, apologies for the slight episode delay. Obviously, with all the scheduling going on with Apex, we decided to make this episode timed-wise with the best that we could fit it into our schedule so that way we can actually play the game before talking about all the patch notes and stuff. And so we think we got a pretty good handle on it now. And we're excited to get into this one. Before we do, though, make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Third Party Pod. Sub to us on YouTube, streaming weekly, uh, 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific time on Thursdays. Get into the Instagram, the Discord. You get notified about all of it there with links and everything. It's always a really good time over there and get to ask unlimited questions. And so far, the streams aren't big enough. So you get all your questions answered at this point, which is a pretty nice perk, I think. We got a good one, though. Today, we're going to be covering everything you need to know about Season 7 from vehicles, maps, the new legends, talking about clubs, all the balancing changes and patch notes, and obviously wrapping it up with some listener questions at the end. Before we do any of that, though, let's dive into some reviews. First review, five stars, coming from Very Good. The pod is pretty good. My top two podcasts are The Third Party and The Good Games Pod. I love both <laughs> of them so much, and you make my day when they come out. Much appreciated. Very good. Yeah, The Good Games Podcast, for anybody that doesn't know, is our other pod where we talk about any kind of game outside of Apex. So, might hear more about that later. Next review coming from Connor, five stars. Very informative and entertaining. I picked up a ton of information so far, far from the first few episodes I've listened to. Only criticism I have isn't even content related, but the audio is heavy on the low end. I'm sure this is a template EQ, but be resolved by taking down 300 hertz and below a little. Connor, I guess we'll have to talk a little bit. I'm curious about what that all that is. We, I've pretty much taught myself how to audio edit for this and we're still very very rookie end of it but that well, is interesting yeah we'll have to touch base with you because if you're starting at the very beginning i think our audio has progressed oh a yeah lot, definitely um, over the months uh, but thanks so much for the review last one for the day is coming from i love Rauer. as a bloodhound main for several seasons i am super happy that you guys talk about them we wow. love talking about blood it's no problem Blood's not a best. problem. We are huge Bloodhound fans over here, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. Let's talk about Patreon now for a second real quick. Yeah, so we just wanted to give a big thank you to all of the amazing listeners who have generously supported us on Patreon. One of the benefits of being a higher level supporter is a personalized thank you on the podcast. So big thank you to Ryan, a master, and Liam, a master. Both of these supporters and the rest of our Masters and Predators will be receiving an exclusive Wraith t-shirt after three months of support. You can check it out on our Patreon Instagram story. It's definitely worth uh, taking a look at. And just also a big thanks to all of our patrons. We've grown very quickly and appreciate all of your amazing support. We look forward to creating the bonus episodes that y'all get to vote on and discuss Apex and our private Discord on Patreon and and those monthly live hangouts that we really like doing. A lot of fun stuff over on Patreon. It's always an absolute great time. Love talking to all of you all over there. 
Now for the big stuff of the day. We're talking about season seven. This is a big one. We're beyond excited to be discussing this season and all the new content. We've been waiting for this one for a long time, all year. Developers of Respawn have been working tirelessly as well. It's shaping up to be the most impressive season of Apex to date, and we hope you are as pumped as we are to dive into it, play Apex, and master all the new components we'll discuss today. I don't think you or I have ever been this excited for a season in a long time because it is absolutely hype, and the hype train is real right now. Yeah, we're pretty dug in. I'm excited. We have a ton to cover. And so I just think we should dive right in. Definitely. Let's do it. First thing that is probably the most defining element of this season is vehicles. Um, Definitely the most exciting element for season seven. Uh, This new mechanic is going to bring a lot of attention to Apex uh, from other BRs and other games and just offer another way to play and traverse around the map of Olympus. Kind of just a rundown on how these vehicles work is first off, they're called triadents. Beautiful name. And (laughs) there's three players per vehicle. Um, If a friendly player gets into the driver's seat, enemies cannot hop on, which is one of the many uh, different variables they considered at trying to make vehicles enjoyable. They did such a great job with it as well, at least in my opinion so far. Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, Just right out the gate. When you're driving a triadent, you're actually in third-person view, which is really nice. And everyone essentially has a third-person entry and exit animation, uh, which is pretty cool. Sometimes uh, you get to slide across the hood as a passenger in order to get on those, uh, those sides, and it looks really cool. Now back to driving these things, the driver has the ability to use a boost. And this thing is no joke. Like, by default, the vehicles are incredibly fast. The boost, like, you can feel your skin pull back. It's, it's like a roller coaster. And this thing has a 29-second cooldown. So you can't use it every day. But, but a lot. if you need to get out, mm-hmm. you can seriously get out of Dodge. And you can flick like nobody's business in this thing. It's got the sharpest turning radius I've ever seen on a car. It's a very interesting car to drive in comparison to other games that have vehicles which is really cool i think yeah i definitely agree it's like it's it's not super slippery and slidey but Mm -hmm. it definitely lives up to the hover yes component like it definitely feels like you're hovering you can pivot really quickly um and just traversing the map like going downstairs or upstairs is very like smooth and clean Mm -hmm. and the vehicle really doesn't have a lot of limitations, yes. except there are a couple uh, yellow, like hollow fences mm-hmm. that don't allow vehicles in. Uh, but those are very few and far between. Like yeah. the map is very easily traversable through the vehicles. You can go a lot of places that you wouldn't expect to be able to, especially if you couple it with a jump pad or a gravity lift. Like you can do totally. some serious, weird plays and get the vehicle in some interesting locations. And so if you're the driver, you are driving and that's it. But if you're a passenger, you can do anything. So you can use both your tactical, you can use your ultimate, you can shoot, you can aim down sights, you can throw grenades, um, you can heal, ping, all sorts of stuff. You're not limited as a passenger, but you can't heal and do that kind of stuff as a driver. So 
it's kind of nice having that kind of flexibility while in a vehicle to be able to just hop in and then heal if you need to or, you know, use your abilities to move the vehicle or start an attack or, you know, get out of there. Um, so that was something that I was kind of pleasantly surprised by about the flexibility you have in a vehicle. That flexibility with this vehicle is a really good word, I think, to kind of key in on for this, which is really, really cool because it's not what we were expecting at all when it comes to vehicles. Yeah, kind of the the weirdest thing, I think, about the Trident is that it has no health. Uh, They can't really be destroyed Mm -hmm. by grenades or gunfire. Um, Instead, the damage done to a vehicle when there's passengers inside is dispersed to the players within. And it's kind of interesting. It's 30% shared damage. So if a bullet comes in, uh, 30% of that damage done is going to be dispersed to each passenger and the driver. And it's always going to be 30% mm-hmm. of that damage done, even if there's only one or two players in the vehicle. I would love to know like what kind of went into their thoughts when yeah. it came to doing that dispersion in that way, because it is really interesting and very far from what I think everyone was expecting to happen when it came to vehicles. You and I even thought for a second, like, oh, you're not going to be able to take damage on it and it'll just be if you get hit, but maybe you're going to be super vulnerable. But they really needed this when you look at how fast this thing is. And that's kind of the key. Yeah, I mean, they're still a big target. And so being able to do some damage to passengers just by hitting the big vehicles Mm -hmm. is definitely a cool element. But I'll tell you, these things are just fast, like incredibly fast. And just to give an example of how that damage kind of shakes down, if you're shooting at a Trident with the R301, that's going to do 14 damage per shot. Um, that shakes down to four and a half damage per player per shot. And say you're 50% accurate, which is quite good. You hit a half of a clip of a purple extended mag R301. That's 14 bullets. That's going to do 64 damage per player. So that's not massive damage. You're not like knocking anybody easily by mm-hmm. just shooting at the vehicle. But I think it was a very interesting decision to not allocate health for the Trident. And one of the reasons that they said in making the decision is they wanted fights to be able to go on where, say you, you know, you knock some people off of a Trident, you Mm -hmm. shoot them, they get off, you fight. They wanted you to be able to take the Trident after you won the fight, not just have this burning vehicle that is no good. Mm -hmm. And so that's a kind of interesting mechanic for vehicles being able to kind of win the vehicle instead of if there's a vehicle involved it's getting destroyed yeah i I very much like how they went about it that way and also because they talked a little bit about how they wanted you to be able to use the trident for cover and fights and you know like making fun plays with the watts and fences and almost turning the trident into a home base in a way and it's pretty effective because it can't be destroyed i've already used it a couple of times like that And that's definitely been one of my favorite uses thus far of the car, because one thing I think we can say real quick is you do not want to just roll up on a team and hop out straight on top of them. The little animation and combined with just the car and them having the jump on you, you'll, you'll die more often than not in that way. And so the fact that they did the damage this way, so you can use it for the cover, come off a little bit earlier, hide behind it if you need to, it makes it a lot more strategic than I think vehicles are most of the time. Yeah, I can say coupling it with the speed, like you don't necessarily just want to try to run people over. 
with the vehicles, you do want to get out a mm-hmm. little earlier so you can kind of come in, put together, and have the driver, you know, with the weapon out mm-hmm. at least. Um, that's another thing that we went over in the last episode. The vehicles can't knock or eliminate someone by running them over, mm-hmm. which just praise the Lord of Apex. So good. Uh, really an excellent thing uh, to put in. It's just going to make, you know, those gunfights feel a lot less frustrating. Agreed. Nobody plays a shooter to get run over and killed. Like, mm-hmm. that's not what anybody's there for. So this season of Apex looks like it's got that covered. There's 12 Trident spawn drops around the borders of Olympus. So they're definitely intended to be used to, you know, traverse the map. Um, Shay and I have been dropping uh, and really opting to use the Tridents over jump towers just based on the speed and the flexibility. It's so fast. It's so fast. And from at least one of our main drops is Oasis and we'll get into it later. But leaving the area, it is very much incentivized for you to use the trident versus using the jump tower from the distance you can go and where the paths are that you can cross so it's really interesting in that way yeah and it's just such it makes moving around the map so much faster you know i was very hesitant about embracing vehicles in this game just because i was worried that they might be really bad you might be able to run people over but that's taken care of but then I was also worried that they would replace a lot of legend abilities like the jump pad and the zip line um, and even the jump tower. But you got to embrace them because oh, they yeah. are so fast and it just makes it so much easier to traverse the map. And I think we'll go into a couple of different strategies after we go through the details of how to best use these mm-hmm. vehicles. Um, but some other facts the triadent can be stunned with arc stars and Watson fences. And the arc stars right now, at least are the best counter to a vehicle. Definitely not so much because of the damage, because it gets, you know, cut in a third and the arc star only does 70 damage, but the stun just wrecks you. You know, if you're in a vehicle, it gets arc starred. You're going to get caught in that radius. Even if you start the animation to get out, and then you're slowed during that animation to get out, and it's just brutal. So that's definitely a good counter. Be carrying those arc stars. Be carrying all grenades like a good third party her does. Definitely. Uh, that's that's definitely a first big tip. Yeah. And then you also have the trident. If you drive it off the map like we love to, it is destroyed. It's the only way the trident can be destroyed in the game. And all passengers are lifted up and redeployed with all loot and all health, unless you're Henry and you get lifted straight up into a ramp and then fall to your death. That was brutal. (laughs) But yeah, this is a very interesting mechanic that is, again, just aimed at making vehicles enjoyable and not like cumbersome or a burden on the game like Mm -hmm. your teammates can't really sabotage and kill you or do anything wrong to you by just sending a vehicle off the map which is very very good like even in world's edge you know you fall into those lava veins and you take damage and you have to float back up this Mm -hmm. is way faster way safer no penalty like they're really trying to encourage good behavior with the vehicles which is a incredible feat and is not even like attempted mm-hmm. by other games and just making it as easy to use like Very. and so beginner friendly so nice next uh we'll be talking about this big element 
Uh, but triadents cannot go through the phase runner, um, which was an interesting thing that we tried out. Uh, could be cool, but that is not possible. It's too bad. We tried. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about different legend interactions with the vehicles is definitely something that we're fascinated by. And we'll definitely be talking about how it affects legend balancing in the future. But so far, the kind of the big players are Rampart is able to attach her turret mm-hmm. uh, to the vehicle and operate it, which is quite interesting. Gibraltar can pop a dome shield on top of the vehicle. Very nice. Protection, run away, advance. And then caustic gas traps can also be deployed on top to kind of force the gas onto people, kind of like a mm-hmm. drive-by. Kind of an interesting <laughs> strat, uh, but very cool legend interactions. And I'm excited to figure out more of them and, you know, how vehicles just impact that balancing, like I said. Definitely. And then you also have the octane jump pad and the gravity lift, as we said earlier, that can, you know, shoot the vehicles up into the air, which from a physics perspective, doesn't make a ton of sense, but I'm all for it at this point. Yeah, we're in a city in the sky. Yeah, I don't know what's possible. Give us some overall thoughts on vehicles, and then we'll move on to talking about the map. Yeah, so I think my initial uh, hesitations are kind of put aside. Mm -hmm. Um, I think no matter your perspective on vehicles, you don't have a choice but to embrace them. Yeah, Because they're incredibly Mm -hmm. impactful and really just make it easier to get into fights and out of fights. Discussing that, Shay and I kind of realized very early on that if you have a trident, you can pick your fights way easier. Mm-hmm. And so this is like kind of bringing down the skill gap a little bit in Apex, which is something that we believe uh, is probably necessary for the popularity of the game. Mm-hmm. But you can, because of the speed, you can be in a trident, see a fight, Go over to it, get pretty close to see, you know, what's going on. Are there knocks? Mm -hmm. And then choose, do we get out now? Do we leave this? Do we kind of pull back and try to come in all together? And so I think the fact that vehicles have that much speed and allow you that flexibility to pick better fights and to get to high ground and do that kind of stuff, I think it's a pretty cool mechanic that just makes the game easier. I think more accessible to earlier players. I'm happy they haven't been incredibly impactful on late game so far at least in the games we've played and that's kind of always a concern with vehicles that i think people have with the running over and stuff and that just hasn't been a thing which is very good but early game like you're saying they're pretty much necessary at this point if you drop at a location that has one they're pretty much there for a reason because you're really far away from the ring you're just so much faster than anything else it's not even close and that's the crazy thing And they just seem to be positioned uh, in a higher priority Mm -hmm. than the jump towers. Definitely. And so not only are they better, but they're closer. Mm -hmm. So it's just hard to try to take the moral high ground and Mm -hmm. say, I refuse. You can't. You just can't. So it's like, go in with a positive attitude. Use them. They're actually pretty fun, Mm -hmm. pretty good. They allow you to have that flexibility. And... Overall, it's just fast. Yep. My only concern with that speed and that could come over the course of the games, I don't know what it's going to do in the upper levels of competitive and ranked, but is the third party scene. Like it, like you were kind of saying, it's too easy to roll up on people yeah. in a way right when that fight ends. And I think that could be a large source of frustration for people. We've had a lot of deaths in a couple areas of the map where we are just 
we're doing everything we can. We do everything we can. We just get shot in the back mid-res. And that's all just what it comes down to. And that's the name of the game. It's the name of the pod. True. But the Tridents are definitely seeming to make it a little bit more easier to do that, which is kind of an interesting way to go. Yeah, they certainly are. Let's talk now about what we've all been waiting for, the new map, Olympus. An absolute beautiful change of scenery for Apex. Very, very new way to play, aside from the addition of vehicles. Uh, Much more interior and sub-level playable areas on Olympus. It changes kind of the use of how you go about with a lot of different abilities for the Legends, which is kind of very interesting. And from a size perspective, the map sits in between World's Edge and King's Canyon in size. But I think because of that sub-level playable areas, the elevation that's around the map, and the size of those POIs, it makes this map feel a lot bigger than it is from just a straight-up geography size if you compare it to World's Edge, which is kind of like what so many people fell in love with this last season. Yeah, I I definitely feel like it feels big. The mm-hmm. POIs feel big. That could just be feeling, you know, new. Not knowing it. Not knowing it, mm-hmm. but everything feels good. And I'll just say that it's incredibly refreshing. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels just like an entirely new game, uh, having a brand new map. And just subconsciously, if you play a lot of Apex, you really learn exactly where to play zip lines, where to throw down bubbles, how to defend a building, use cover, etc. But that's all reset, and you mm-hmm. kind of have to use, like, relearn how to use a legend depending on the new map and the new c- cover and different areas. And I'll just say it's super fun and just makes the game feel so fresh. It does. And the POIs, we'll talk about a couple later. They're great. They're absolutely amazing. I would dive into it more, but I feel like it's a 10 out of 10. Like it's just pretty much, it's pretty simple on how it was designed. Speaking of design though, it was brought to us by senior level designer, Dave Ozai. And along with this is a cool little limited time mode that we got with Olympus. And it's called the Olympus Preview LTM. Uh, it's going to be out for one week. It's a 30 player lobby size. You can All the loot's there and everything, but there's no weapon damage. You have a quick ring that kind of draws you into the center and then you're picked up by a drop ship and you drop in and do this three times per match. It's just kind of a nice way to learn how to rotate and figure out the end ring circles a little bit. We've played it a couple of times. It's kind of funny, like by the time you get to that third time around, it's usually like you and like six other people, like everybody's left. And so it's kind of just a fun fun time to just chill on the map and not have to worry about dying off the drop. And so if you're one of those people that struggles with your drops, this could be a really nice way to learn where everything is, master a certain thing without having the frustration of repeated death over and over and over again. Yeah. And really learning those fast rotations, Mm -hmm. like not just realizing, okay, this is where the good loot is. This is where I feel comfortable, but also how do I get to these, you know, smaller rings uh, most effectively? Yep. Um, it's a really cool mode. Another cool thing the designer did is because of the way Olympus is designed as an artificial utopia, there's like this perfectionism, this feeling that is everywhere. It's very different. And they've talked about a lot how different it is from Kings Canyon and the rugged mountains on World's Edge and such. And it's was easier for them to build. This is essentially what Ozai was saying. And that you don't have to account for how do I make this huge rock? look natural but i need it to be there because yeah. I, need, I need cover and that location on the map and so it has this like clean feeling everything straightforward the line of sights make a lot more sense the rotations so far have been pretty easy to understand i don't know if you would disagree with that at all but i think the fact that there's these gaps in the map it 
your options are limited in a way, but because of the options you actually have to do the rotating, you're going you're gonna to find that there's a lot of choices, but the choice is simple. <laughs> I agree. I think that the map is a lot more approachable just because it is super clean lines. It's very, uh, you know, it's not natural. It's artificial, but it's very natural feeling. Like you pretty much know what to expect. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple places on the map that we haven't really figured out yet. Um, hydroponics yeah. is pretty tricky uh, to navigate. Spot. There's a lot of like, uh, what do you call them? Catacombs almost. These uh, the underground yeah. tunnels. Mm -hmm. Very complex. But, you know, I think generally... The map is really cool and it just is clear. You know how to do stuff. You know mm -hmm. where to go and how to get there, which is very cool. And yeah, don't fall off the map. You'll die. You know, lots of holes around the map. I just had a game where, oh my goodness, I was just trying to run away, hit the gravity lift to go up over a wall. Little did I know on the other side of the wall was nothing and there's nothing you can do at that point. So you're going to have a couple of those moments probably playing and learning the map and hopefully you'll start to understand it to avoid those things. But it's just kind of funny that that is actually in the game because we're on a floating city, which is yeah, cool. It's a lot different than falling in lava or running yeah. through lava. You fall like 30,000 feet. Uh, so definitely watch your step there. And then kind of another fun thing is the jump towers, you know, 20% taller this season and it, seems like it allows for a longer range of rotations but like we've been saying those tridents really seem to take priority thus far uh over the jump towers we'll see how that progresses essentially as especially when you get further into ranked and see if it changes at all um i'm really interested to see how that balance shifts the further into the season we go and if the tridents vehicles start to lose that shiny new feeling that everyone's got for them at all but right now, I think the first instinct is that's not going to be the case. I agree. Mm -hmm. Let's talk now about the phase runner as being one of the most unique features of Olympus. It's awesome. Do you want to explain what the phase runner is for the folks out there? Maybe the people that don't fully uh, grasp it yet? For sure. So the description of the phase runner is it's a tunnel of phase energy running through the center of Olympus. And it lets you cross the map in seconds. Uh, the rift stands tall over everything, mysterious and beckoning. So it's kind of complex, uh, kind of how you introduced it. But essentially, there's four entry points. Two are very central, right outside Hammond Labs. Mm -hmm. One is in the rift, which is a very cool POI. Um, and in rift, it's kind of this glowing blue and black orb. It pulls you upwards into the phase runner, which then phases you to the center of the map uh, at those two adjacent entry points. You're then spit out of the portal, um, and you're still in the phase. Uh, kind of, this is very similar to uh, the labs mm -hmm. on Kings Canyon in that phase. But you're still in the phase, which allows you to kind of get your bearings after you're spit out, just like under two seconds. And then you have the option to either keep going through the second phase runner um, to then get spit out at the other side of the map mm -hmm. near hydroponics. So this cross map navigation is pretty dang interesting. Uh, a huge element of just map design and rotation ability. Um, but there's some interesting balancing components of this. We always like wondered what the unique feature is the map was going to have. You know, we had the train on World's Edge, the supply ship on King's Canyon. And it seems like this is kind of what took that place for Olympus. 
have you had any strong uses yet of it? Like, has it changed a game for you at all? Um, I haven't, like, it hasn't changed a game necessarily, mm-hmm. like an end game sort of situation. But, you know, there's a risk associated with going through an unknown portal mm-hmm. to go at least a quarter of the way across the map into the unknown. Into the unknown. Into the unknown. Um, but anyway, uh, I think it's very cool. And it gives you that kind of, okay, we need to bail. Mm-hmm. You know, we're here at Hammond. We're fighting right outside the phase runner. We have to go um, because, you know, it's hit the fan. Um, and that's really key. I think that's really yeah. key. We should focus on that. And that it's a tough thing to rely on for your rotation because on the other side of it, when someone is going through the phase, you know, you get flashing lights and alarm sounds telling the nearby enemies that people are going to be coming through. And even though you do exit in phase, if you try and use this thing in the third ring or something like that, you're not going to be able to go and bail out all the way to the other side. And theoretically, if you're entering this thing, it's not to go back because Mm -hmm. you're in trouble. And so then you could end up in a pretty sticky situation in that middle area. And you can't just ride it back and forth, back and forth, because you do take ring damage while you're in the phase runner, which is kind of interesting, different from the other you know, phase stuff that we've seen in this universe so far. And so I've used it to rotate once um, and it was pretty tough. Like we were in, uh, oh my goodness, we're in the rift and we were just getting lit up. And so we just went through it, came out the other side and there was people there. And so we had to, we couldn't go through the other side because that was out Mm -hmm. of zone. And so we dipped off to the left and were able to kind of get away and reset. We got, I think, pretty lucky. Because I think when you get into higher levels of play, you're going to have people throwing traps and fences on it and really camping that area if people continue to use it. Dang. Fencing, you know, that central phase runner location, very good idea. Mm -hmm. That's pro-level Watson play. (laughs) Um, I think maybe the first or second time we used it, that happened, and they weren't there. Mm -hmm. But if they would have been, we would have been cooked. Definitely. It, it It can really throw a wrench in your plans and early early thought is don't use it as your number one priority rotation tool because you know how if you listen to this podcast you know henry and i like to plan out the rotations from certain locations and such and so it probably is not going to be a part of any of our core plans in using the phase runner yeah you kind of want to be relying on the triadents uh yeah right now there's a lot more control of the trident when you're uh rotating which is really really cool and interesting Let's talk now about a couple POIs. Uh, we're going to you know, kind of take one from each location of the map, north, central, south. Um, we're going to continue to learn the map ourselves and break it down for the specific locations that we're going to end up loving to drop in. And we'll obviously, for the Patreon people, do our special episodes where we break down our favorite uh, ranked drops and such with the map and everything and alternate routes. Uh, but obviously, early on, we've only played for a day now. I mean, we've played a lot, but it's still learning every POI is pretty tough. And so these are just a couple that we want to highlight, uh, starting with North Docks. So this is kind of on the weird side of the map. It's yeah. very different from everything else, but it's on the northern side and it's a very open industrial pier where ships can refuel and cargo is transferred to and from Olympus. The mountain facade helps hide the dirty work that goes on here, and for those of you, and for those who wish to not see it, long-range combat dominates this area. Expect to see snipers perched on the many elevations, looking for enemies, rotating from Arcadia supercarrier 
or power grid. Uh, with such a large zone, vehicles prove invaluable to rotating through this area. I really enjoy uh, docks right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a very stark difference uh, from everything else. Um, very long lines of sights. Mm-hmm. Um, very cool. Um, just like the description says, the vehicle is important. There's a lot of very open areas that are uh, not in good places. What we would call a kill zone. Yes. You know, like mm-hmm. you're surrounded on both sides by taller uh, walls. Definitely in danger. So it's a very cool spot. Very different from everything else. Um, but I think that makes it kind of cool. Yeah. And it's interesting in that it has the older aesthetic with the sorting factory is kind of like the first one that comes to mind for me. And so we still have a bit of that comfort zone. If you were a little uh, nervous about all the bright colors everywhere, but yeah, we've dropped here a couple of times, had some end circles here as well. And it plays a lot different than I think a lot of the other areas of the map because it was very open but there's also not a ton of elevation yeah. anywhere. So like there's a lot of buildings, but they're all at similar heights. And so there isn't a clear defining power position. And so this could be a very interesting spot uh, to kind of figure out and master if it becomes a popular and circle shrink uh, for sure. So Absolutely. next we have central, which is Hammond labs uh, central in the map, right where the two ends of the phase runner collide. You're going to end up here a lot. Like that preface with that, you're going to end up here a lot. Uh, This POI is absolutely beautiful, a massive waterfall, an amazing modern architecture with so many cool water elements around it. Uh, This is also the location that Horizon's apartment was before Hammond built a landing pad there. Obviously, some more awesome lore. There's some really other cool things you need to explore in this map for sure. Uh, This is, like we said, the most central area of the map. It'll be a serious convergence point for your rotations. Uh, with killer high ground and multiple funnels, this is the spot that I think Henry and I have probably gotten killed at the most because there is a overlooking, like one little building that overlooks everything. There's like three pathways up and then there's like four zip lines up it. And it's just constant fight, 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 fight to get up on top of there. And it's almost feels like, you know, like playing like the waves, the zombies mode or something where it's just people keep on coming and coming and coming. Um, but it's been a really fun spot for sure. Yeah. We're trying to master it because we can already tell that this is a very important place Mm -hmm. uh, to get good at. And it's tough. You know, that upper building is very hard to hold, uh, especially with horizon, you know, right now, Mm -hmm. everybody is able to grab the roof of it really easily. I'm almost thinking that you go there, you pick your first fight and then you drop right below and kind of go into turbine almost. Mm-hmm. And then when the next party shows up, you then zip line right back up. It's But right now, I do not feel comfortable staying there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very scary there. And it sucks because it's interesting because it has such a big field of view on the rest of the map. And so it does have what we would like to consider the power position of the map. But there's just so many ways for people to get up there that you're incredibly vulnerable which is kind of a common theme. Obviously, we're still learning the map. We're new to it. But I don't think you or I have noticed like, okay, if the ring shrinks here, you need to be here because it's the best spot. Everything is pretty even on this map. Yeah. And there's so many options for how you want to play an end circle, which is going to be really interesting to see how that yeah. ends up playing for a lot of people. And I think that was a very intentional decision mm-hmm. for the map design. Um, you know, a lot of the complaints about Apex map design on both maps are 
single-sided locations mm-hmm. where if one team got there early and got into this position, they had a significant advantage. I think they really tried to diminish that a lot by kind of making that high ground more accessible, uh, like here at Hammond Labs, but also just across the map. Um, things aren't really symmetrical. There's not really two sides to mm-hmm. one location. There's more like five or six sides, and so it's hard to determine which of those sides is the best. Which way do you watch? Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's much more complicated, but it also kind of evens the playing field uh, and kind of makes you rely on gunplay and abilities more so than position at first glance. I yeah. definitely think there might be room to advance uh, in that and kind of pick better positioning. But initial reactions are that they really tried to level things. Yeah, definitely. That is that is the early on thought. I like that a lot. Let's wrap it up now talking about Bonsai Plaza. Yeah, this is the last spotlight we'll do uh, for today. But it's a very cool uh, POI on the southern edge of the map. Uh, three relatively large buildings uh, are on the map, and they're right here at Bonsai Plaza, surrounded by curved roadways, which are very cool to whip around mm-hmm. uh, with the Trident. Uh, this is the location where Revenant killed Lopa's parents, uh, which is another lore interesting thing. I to love it. Um, yeah, so very interesting voice lines here, to say the least. <laughs> uh, on the ground level, uh, there's longer lines of sight with uh, a mid-tier loot level. And then the Sky Plaza up a few stories uh, in the plazas themselves uh, is considered high-tier loot. Um, and this is a very fascinating place. Uh, if it's contested and you're fighting uh, up on that upper level, um, it's sectioned off to be like two bases with, you know, connecting uh, sides mm-hmm. to kind of get in between. Very interesting. This is going to be, you know, close range engagements. Very interesting play here. Um, it definitely seems like this is going to be a fairly popular POI. Um, but very unique uh, play here. I yeah. really like what they did. And to get up to that plaza, you have to either drop in there from the ship or take long zip lines to get up. And we all know the longer you're on a zip line, the louder you are. And so the more chance there is for people to hear you. And I've definitely found, okay, dropping up on the top there with the team. Okay, there's people below. Maybe we wait a second, draw them up. If you hear them coming up, you're just going to wreck some people. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays. I just love the look of this part of the map, though. It definitely looks cool. Mm -hmm. Everything looks so cool. It's hard to complain. Yeah. Let's give our overall thoughts then. And I think the first thing about this map is, one, excited it came here. Haven't really noticed bugs or anything like that yet, which has been very nice. We know they've been working on it for a while. The map is just gorgeous. It really is. And we'll say it a lot and we're going to say it for a long time probably, but it is easy to say for me, at least it's my favorite BR map I've ever seen in any game. Just from a color perspective, it absolutely looks amazing. One of the players we play with a lot is colorblind as well. And for him, he's saying that it's a lot easier for him to play and see what is going on rather than all these mundane browns and grays we had on World's Edge and Kings Canyon. And so I think from that perspective as well, just overall improvement in every way, it seems. Yeah, my initial reactions are, I like it a lot. The POIs are big, full. Loot seems to be very abundant, uh, which is nice to not have to struggle for that. And just overall, I really like that this map has a story and a purpose. I actually very much enjoy the fact that the whole uh, 
area of Olympus is artificial and man-made. Mm-hmm. Like everything is intentional, uh, which I think is very cool and kind of has a purpose behind it. On the previous maps, you know, they were kind of recycled areas that the games weren't necessarily supposed to be. Not to say that Olympus was always destined to have a blood sport on it, but, <laughs> you know, they, it wasn't as clear the narrative up front of where are we fighting, what's going on here. And I think that's really clear on this map. And I like that. Yeah. Uh, we're, we could sit, go on and on and on about the positives of this map. The last thought I think maybe we should talk about for a second is how great it is that these POIs are so large. And from a play perspective, it means that the actual fights inside these POIs are awesome and you can have multiple teams there and not just get absolutely wrecked by a third party, but also the loot. It feels incredibly abundant right now, at least for me, in that there is just everything everywhere. I haven't had shield issues really that much, haven't had weapon issues in this map uh, thus far. It's been very, very positive in that way, and I think that comes from the size of those POIs. For sure. Let's talk now about Horizon, the new legend for Season 7. You know, we've obviously shared some of the abilities, the lore and such already. We've dove into her a lot in the last couple of episodes. We're really excited that she's finally here and what she kind of represents for new legends coming into the game uh, from a success standpoint thus far. Uh, Let's dive into the abilities and then maybe we can wrap it up and talk to some overall thoughts. Start with the tactical of Gravity Lift where you reverse the flow of gravity, lifting players upwards, boosting them outwards when they exit. 15 second cooldown. I know you've got a lot to say on this one for sure. Yeah, so the whole 15 second countdown, it's actually triggered when she throws it. And so after you use the tactical and actually are lifted up, it's closer to 9 or 10 seconds. Um, This ability is much stronger uh, than we believed in the early leaks, uh, even in the in-game teaser on Kings Canyon World's Edge and in the trailers. The power is a lot higher than we thought, and a lot of that power, I think, stems from this crazy cooldown. Mm -hmm. It's radical. Like, being able to have uh, this kind of mobility and this kind of speed um, on the equivalent to a 10-second cooldown is pretty remarkable. Really, the ability is closest to what we would say the octane jump pad is, mm-hmm. um, which is instantly deployed. You know, I toss it down, it's straight up. Um, and it's usable for the entire team. And the key to it is it disappears in 10 seconds, which some might consider right off the bat, mm, that's not as good because, you know, you have less flexibility. You can't really mess up. It's going to disappear on you. But that's a huge advantage to be able to grab high ground and to not leave behind a pathway Mm -hmm. to hit you in the back is a very big advantage. And so this ability is very, very powerful uh, right now. You know, it gives Horizon the ability to have that verticality grab of Pathfinder, Mm -hmm. but also allows everyone else to have that same mobility, just like uh, Octane's jump pad, except it's a way faster cooldown and it disappears. And it's a tactical. Yeah, it's real, <laughs> and it's very versatile. Mm-hmm. Like I love, you know, it can be used defensively. It can be kind of sneaky, um, useful in rotations, just the speed boost mm-hmm. off of it. Um, you can use it to launch vehicles in the air, like we were saying, and you can use it aggressively to grab high ground or to throw it at enemies to kind of shake them up. Yeah, just popping on the roofs of buildings with this has been so nice and it just works so well. 
And I'm so excited to see actually how it translates to World's Edge and King's Canyon as well once we get to that point maybe sometime. Because I think we felt like when Lobo was introduced or when Rev was introduced, we're like, okay, this person is built for this map. And I think Horizon was built for this map for sure. But I think the translation of this ability onto these other maps is going to be really interesting to see. Um, Because like we've been talking about, high ground in this map thus far, while important, it's not the same level of impact as Mm -hmm. these other maps. And so having this ability on other maps could be really, really good. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And even just the speed uh, of moving up the gravity lift Mm -hmm. is way faster than uh, I initially felt uh, through the in-game teasers. It has to be faster. It must be. I just feel like there is a lot of power packed into this tactical. Um, it's very, very good. Yep. I think it's a very good review, and we're happy to see that. Like, very, very happy to mm-hmm. see that. Next, we have the passive of Spacewalk. Increase air control and reduce fall impacts with Horizon's custom spacesuit. Great-looking spacesuit also. Yeah. <laughs> she, her character model looks really, really good. Um, this passive um, might not appear to be as impactful as other kind of stronger passives, but I think off the bat, coupling it with the boost of her tactical, this passive is a really nice addition to her mobility. To be able to, in a lot of locations around the map, to be able to throw it down, grab a rooftop, and to be able to instantly shoot at people that are there is a very aggressive ability. Mm-hmm. And kind of, I think, just plays into that tactical that she can jump on people and take high ground really quickly and do it with aggression, which is very cool. Well, and that's what I like because when we, like, one of the things we were excited about with Loba was like, okay, movement, take height, teleport on people, really fun. But then this animation at the end kind of counteracts that if you go high, you have this. If you go, if you send it onto the ground, you have this as well. And so the fact that this passive very much makes it so you jump on somebody, you're in the fight. There ain't no delay at all. Cool little voice lines that go along with it as well. Nice little brightens up your screen. I'm surprised actually how often that happens. Like I, I think from the leaks and descriptions we had, we were like, oh, you're never going to use this. Like what is a very high area of the map that you're falling from? And so it's been really cool. I've enjoyed it. I think like you're saying, couple's great with the tactical. Yeah, it's just when you speak about it in the context of the tactical it's like the opposite of loba like you were saying exactly. it has no animation like even pathfinder he hits a mega grapple mm-hmm. he's gonna you know head shoots right down to the ground has to pull back the weapon all the way up mm-hmm. uh, not really the case with horizon so it's a very cool ability you hit the ground running but you um, do um, you do that's exactly right and last we have the ultimate you're like wow shay henry this legend's really really good mobility what mm-hmm. this ultimate must be really bad like it must not have much much assume. effect you would assume instead we got a black hole okay deploy newt to create a black hole that sucks in nearby legends pulls in legends vehicles projectiles and opens doors 120 second cooldown same as the caustic now nox gas grenade the whole opening doors thing was the craziest one to me because and i think people still aren't used to that and i think that you will see adjustment in play kind of like how we always do with new legends and abilities with that one specifically but right now if you throw this thing on a team that's on a door oh my goodness do they get just wrecked right now they are shooketh yeah uh, if this shows up on their door absolutely wrecked 
Yeah, so initially from leaks and kind of what we were seeing in trailers and such, we assumed that this thing had damage. Um, and it doesn't actually do any base damage. Um, but it has a considerable amount of pull to it, mm-hmm. um, which I honestly think is undervalued right now. I don't think people are quite grasping uh, how impactful this ultimate can be if used effectively. Um, but so you throw it down and it sucks people in, sucks everything in, mm-hmm. it sucks tridents in. Um, but it is balanced in the fact that you can fight the pull. Um, and use your abilities like stem mm-hmm. or phase uh, to move out of it. Did struggle, though, with using Pathfinder's grapple to get out of it. Mm-hmm. It was not that helpful. No. Um, so kind of interesting on how that kind of shakes down in balancing. Um, but it's also balancing that the black hole really distorts visibility uh, with the darkness. It's like, almost like an opposite of a silence in a way. And, yeah. But it still like really messes you up from being able to see. Yeah, and so even if your horizon, you do get a little bit of an outline of people that are, you know, right on top of it, mm-hmm. uh, but it's pretty hard to see still. And so uh, being able to use it, pull people um, from behind cover, get them tight right onto it, and then shoot them isn't like a walk in the park. It's doable, but it's, you know, fairly balanced uh, because of that kind of difficulty of the visibility. Yeah. Have you had any uh, favorite plays thus far with the ultimate? Yeah, so... My favorite play so far, we haven't played much, but essentially my team had the high ground. There's a team on low ground and a super long uh, zip line between mm-hmm. us. Um, we got an early knock, and so you know we decided to send it down the zip line. And right before I was going to jump off the zip line, I tossed it and was just able to pull two people in uh, that you know were behind cover and easily uh, gun them down. So it's very good. I think I recommend that you use it like a tactical grenade. Mm-hmm. Like last minute, you're not really using it like a Gibraltar bombardment where you're kind of using it preemptively in order to kind of rattle people before mm-hmm. you go in with the gun. You want it to come in with the gun. Yeah. Um, to kind of catch people off guard and get them exposed. Yeah, we're excited to learn more about her and kind of master her. I've been playing a ton of it and the yanking people out of the doors, that yeah. is just, it looks so funny. And I felt so bad. Like people try and run away. They're like, okay, I'm behind the door. I'm going to heal. And if you throw this thing out, door opens and they come flying out. And then you got three people tracking them and lasering them. We're still kind of trying to figure out the coupling it with grenades effectively. It doesn't really have the same combustion that we were kind of expecting and not the look of from the trailer with the nade but it's more so like the you just need to place the frags and the arc stars on the center and hope that people are pulled into it more so than like okay i just need to throw this grenade Mm -hmm. in that general direction for it to be effective Uh, and i think it's good i think part of the balancing it it would have been very frustrating if you could have thrown a grenade and it would have been like a watson ult and just grabbed it and pulled it in towards the people Totally. It is not like that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work like that. Um, but using it, you know, up close in people's face, using it indoors mm-hmm. is very good. You know, that 120 second cooldown, use it. Just mm-hmm. use it. You know, don't be uh, hesitant to use this ultimate. Use it like a tactical grenade. Um, and I think you're going to have some serious success with it. Yeah. You can throw it a lot farther than I was expecting as well. Word. But yeah, Horizon's looking awesome. She'll be probably on the next Mastering the Legends episode when we get to that one. She's great. We're very excited that the game has introduced a legend that is very good. And we know that some of these legends on release have not been as great. And they, in their dev stream, recognized that, addressed it, 
And I think they, you know, hit this one perfectly. And Horizon's coming out of the Vancouver office. Mm -hmm. So they're doing good work there in the expansion. Yes, sir. Let's talk about clubs now. So clubs are a new feature this season, which allow players to organize clubs of up to 30 members to play more together. We are really excited for this. We anticipate it's going to be fantastic at getting reliable teammates to play with and ranked as well as public matches. And that's kind of what they've been saying over at the devs as well. And we all know that Apex is a team game and it's best played with teammates. And hopefully this delivers that function more readily available for people. You know, you can set a variety of different specifications of rank or level, uh, which is going to be really good to bring together like-minded players. I know a lot of you are probably going to be asking about, well, what's the third party club? What are you guys doing with that? Um, and we just want to say we are not going to be having an official third party nation club. Uh, we just think it wouldn't be fair to our listeners. We have so many of you. We love all of you all so much. And a lot of people have gone into our messages and said, we'll make it for the Patreon supporters and such. And we thought of that, obviously. We, we, we try and figure out all the potential things. Uh, the 30 player cap is just too restrictive. And we think it'd be a little unfair to have a random selection for people, even the people that are donating and really helping make this pod happen. And it's meant, it's pretty clear that clubs are not meant to be the clans. You know, if you've clash of clans kind of person, the mobile games where it's just like, get as many people in as you can. That's not really the function that these clubs have. The clubs are meant to organize like-minded people together. So you can play together often. Being able to send out invites to everyone in the club. We just want it to be fair. And it probably wouldn't be that way if we had an official third-party club. The devs have mentioned, though, that this is something that might change. And if they do, we will readdress that when we come to it. Um, and But yeah, speaking on the clubs, we very much love the idea of them. Encourage you to create or join a club. You want to talk about what we're doing to kind of... Uh, emphasize it i think yeah. is the best way yeah so just like shay said we really like this mechanic it seems super cool we love people playing together uh we just it's not really going to work out for us mm -hmm. it's we can't really give it as a benefit because it's too small uh, mm -hmm. for that and then it just doesn't seem quite fair but and we don't want to kick people out that's the exactly, other thing we, exactly. we really don't want to be the people in charge of saying oh sorry you're not either at the level of what we're trying to yeah. do or not like you cancel your donation or something like that. And we have a wide mm -hmm. variety of listeners mm -hmm. and players. And so it's just, it's not the perfect fit for us, but in response to having clubs in the game, we are going to be starting a new segment called welcome to the club, where we feature a listener club and promote it to attract new members. Um, if you'd like to submit a club, please message us on discord or Instagram or Twitter. Uh, for a chance to be featured, just outline the requirements for us and the purpose of your club um, and any information that we need in order, like the name, in mm -hmm. order to find it. Um, Password really, if it's a private invite. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, for sure. So just please reach out to us. We're excited to feature some. Uh, we look forward to growing uh, just more relationships between the listeners of the third party and uh, have that classic third party teamwork. Third party teamwork is what it is all about. Before we kind of dive into the details and the Season 7 patch notes, here is a word from our sponsors. The Good Games Podcast is brought to you by Henry and Shay. Hopefully you like those two guys by now. From our success covering Apex Legends, we've sought out to create a new project talking about all good games. 
If you want to hear Henry and I cover games from Rogue Company to Assassin's Creed, check out this link in the description to hear about all the new good games. Welcome back to the episode. Now we're getting into the nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. Honestly, this is why you're listening. This is what we love. The season seven patch notes. Lots of details here. Lots of big changes going to seriously impact Apex in general. Um, so buckle up. This is the good stuff. This is the meat of the episode. Um, and we got a lot to run through. Yeah. Legends, mm-hmm. meta changes. All sorts of jazz. Weapons. Yeah. Everything. And we're going in our own order this time. We structured it differently from the actual patch notes. So if you do want to follow along, join the Patreon, grab the show doc, and That's get going right. in This that is way. a long show doc. This so. is a long show doc. Hey, I mean, we were just joking the other day, like, we're struggling to write like five page papers for classes, but what? This is a yeah, 14 page show doc, yeah. single spaced most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So... It, it comes together. We it should comes get some together. extra credit. Yeah. That's what we should get. <laughs> Let's start with talking about map rotations. Uh, as always, when a new map comes out, the first two weeks are going to be on Olympus, and then we're going to have a regular rotation between Olympus and World's Edge, with King's Canyon being vaulted. The first split of Ranked is going to be on Olympus, and the second on World's Edge. We've talked a lot about this off-air, and we might dive into it deeper maybe on another episode, but what are your just brief kind of thoughts on this? Yeah, so we are definitely very curious about map rotation in general mm-hmm. and how you can do playlists and different lobbies. And I think Apex has had a very mature approach to it in order to maintain the player base. Um, but even introducing something like duos uh, had a pretty tangible impact mm-hmm. uh, on queue times and things like that. Um, and so our initial reaction to just the idea of a third map would be that King's Canyon would have to be removed mm-hmm. uh, from the rotation. But it's also kind of sad to say goodbye uh, to a map on kind of a semi-permanent basis. So interested to hear more and learn more about, you know, what's the, what's the future of map rotation? If they add another map, does mm-hmm. that mean we have to lose another one? Like, how, how is this all going to play out? You know, the fact that Apex has a wide variety of maps is super cool now. Um, but how that's going to actually affect the playlists and what's the impact of adding a map or subtracting a map is something that I think is maybe yet to be fully fleshed out. If they keep doing what they're doing though, and they make each map better, which is something that they've proven to be able to do. They said, we introduced Kings Canyon. Okay. What are the issues with this map that people are complaining about? Let's change that for world's edge. How are we going to upgrade world's edge? Go to Olympus. And so if you're the kind of person that's kind of like, interested in King's Canyon coming back, I think you're going to have to be patient. And I think that is because King's Canyon is nostalgic, but these maps are just from a gameplay perspective. The newer maps are better, you know? And so I think that's really important to kind of take note of and enjoy the crafting that has come from the map. Speaking of crafting. Uh, for season seven, uh, they've made some major updates uh, to the replicator and the crafting mechanic. Um, they've removed weapons from the crafting pool and have replaced them with shield batteries. Um, that's just fantastic. But there's also <laughs> you've been clamoring for yeah, it a long time. I'm pretty much freaking out about this. <laughs> like it's on a high level right now. I really got to go back and play so I can craft some bats. <laughs> uh, 
But the replicator is also still going to have high-level weapon attachments that will be tailored towards a weapon category. Mm-hmm. So one day it might be, you know, purple extended light mag and a gold barrel stabilizer. So things that go together. If that happens, it's going to be crazy. Well. It's going to be crazy if that happens. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. I think this was one of the things Henry and I were like, you know, overall, season, incredibly positive, completely, 100%. Mm-hmm. Best season yet. Obviously, there's going to be a couple questions that come with things. This was the one we had was, okay, you know, in season five, we were told that the weapon pool couldn't handle anything new. And and then we got the vault in season six, and they justified that by saying that there's going to be a weapon removed from the ground and put into the care package every day. uh, And that kind of is going to counter our weapon pool. And so now we don't have that. Is there a reason we would kind of like to know? Hopefully, we'll be able to talk to somebody soon, figure that out. My first, like, thought or response to it would be like oh we just made improvements to the map and so now the map can handle more weapons and i think that's totally justified reason if that is but that was just i think our only concern we've really had from the patch notes thus far yeah i i don't have any particular anxiety about weapon Mm -hmm. pool and things like that um but i do have some concerns just about what's the reason for these things Mm -hmm. you know are the explanations that we're getting from upstairs accurate yeah and you know that's just something that makes our job kind of harder and as a player just makes it kind of confusing like you know should there be a weapon in the crafting or not now mm-hmm. there's been no real public statement as to if you know it's okay or if it's not okay i think it's probably fine yes but there's just kind of we want the clarity under the hood mm-hmm. yeah the other change with it, though, is that they now prevent the other players from picking up items that you crafted for the first five seconds after crafting. This can be disabled, though, by picking the item. Probably good little quality of life change. And, you know, yeah. you and I play together. We're pretty friendly, so we don't steal each other's crafting loot. But I could see with randoms that being a little frustrating at times. Yeah, that's probably a very nice change. And before we keep going down the list, just shield batteries are now permanent in the crafting. So both medkits and batteries are now craftable for 20 crafting materials, and that is awesome. Each crafting material station has 25, and you earn five um, whenever you open a supply bin. So batteries are going to be very high on the list of crafting uh, for me. Uh, Definitely brings, at least for me, and I think for everybody, crafting much higher on the list Mm -hmm. of priority. You know, last season, I actually enjoyed crafting a lot, um, used it a fair bit, uh, especially when there was something in there I liked, and for ammo and leveling up armor. But this makes it almost an every single game kind of situation. And I also like that it makes the locations that have crafting... uh, more incentivized to drop there and that might go into our ranked rotation strategy so stay tuned on that we'll try and figure that one out let's talk about the armor changes now evo armor saw a bit of an adjustment to go from level zero to level one it now takes a hundred damage up from 50 from level one to level two it takes 150 damage up from 125 from level two to level three 300 damage up from 250 and last but not least, from level 3 to level 4, it takes 750 damage now, up from 500. Uh, and the devs stated that we increased the requirements to evolve Evo Armor in order to reduce the amount of players with red armor during the end of the game. Interesting change. Um, we had a lot of questions about it, and I think 
we'll see more clarity on it the more we play, I think. What have been your kind of thoughts, though, a little bit on this one? It is probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my initial reactions was I was very shocked. Mm-hmm. I saw 750 and I was like, wow, uh, just to get to um, from purple to red. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, that's almost as much as the total leveling yeah. uh, of before. I was like, wow, that's going to be a lot harder. But now that I've played a little bit and kind of had some time to think about it, I think this is probably good. Um, you know, we talk a lot off the air about red armor and just Evo and should there be red armor and the incentive to actually use uh, Evo armor to, you know, get the advantage over using gold. Um, but I think this is fine. You know, I'm okay uh, with not having red armor every single game, no matter what. Um, I don't think that it's a drastic change. I think mm-hmm. you can still get red armor. I think it's still there. There's just a little bit less, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, and I the first change that came to my mind with this was I see a bit more of an incentive to pick up gold. And Henry and I personally were leaning towards, you know, purple most of the time to get that red. You know, some people love the gold, but now with 750 damage, depending on the pace of the game, you could be convinced a lot more easily to go for that gold direction. Yeah, absolutely. You know, now to get uh, red armor, you need more than 1,200 damage. Multiple fights. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. And before, it was, you know, less than 800 total. So, a big difference. It's been high damage games, or high kill games, when I've gotten the red armor thus far, at least. Walk us through the changes to the ring. Probably the biggest surprise of any change we've had. Not in a positive or negative way. Just a big surprise. Big, big, big surprise. Um, you know, very weird. They overall reduced the power or the damage dealt by the ring. Um, very much a shocker just because you increase the ability to traverse the map mm-hmm. with the phase runner, the trident, and higher jump towers. You would think that having the ring as a threat and just kind of a stable thing with all those other changes would make sense, but mm-hmm. no. Um, so the first ring is going to be the same, uh, 2% per tick. Ring two, 3% per tick, coming down from 5%. This is the change that's uh, kind of big because it allows mm-hmm. for if you got knocked in the ring, you get rezzed in the ring, you then have enough time to pop a syringe, mm-hmm. which is something you couldn't do before. And that is a really great change because that is, you know, very noticeable and frustrating when it's only round two and, you know, you're in a fight in the ring, you feel comfortable there, and then you can't even hit a syringe. Mm-hmm. So that's probably a good thing. Ring three is now 5% per tick, which was the ring two, and that was coming down from 10. Um, And so you can still move through Mm -hmm. a ring three while healing, you know, unless you're getting knocked, um, you you can pretty much out heal the damage of the ring in three. And then four is now 10 per tick down from 20%. Um, This could really greatly impact later game rotations uh, just because that's a lot less damage. You know, if you're using med kits, that's going to be doable. little Ring, nerf yeah. to the uh, Wraith portal, as I'll just throw in there real quick, because one of the favorite uses that people have of it is, okay, we're going to pull off a really weird rotation uh, by chaining together a portal and then running and such. Yeah, and going around a corner mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah, it's definitely more doable to take ring damage in order to get around a fight or mm-hmm. do a good rotation. 
So ring four is now 10 coming around from 20. Ring five is also 10 coming down from 20. Ring six is 15 coming down from 25. Ring seven is also 15 coming down from 25. This is a significant difference. 15% damage in that round six and seven is something. But keep in mind, that's like barely over what a ring three used to be. Mm-hmm. And a ring six was unsurvivable, essentially. Yeah. Like you were like two or three ticks in there and you were a goner. Mm-hmm. So if you're taking any bullets at all too, yeah, it just like gets worse. End ring is just going to be much less defined by ring push. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to be feeling as pressured. Um, but all these changes just kind of interesting to make it less of a threat to kind of play more in the ring, which traditionally they have kind of strove to avoid yeah. a little bit. Changing but, lifelines tactical not be used in the ring. Mm-hmm. Wraith portal two mm-hmm. ends can't be used in the ring. So it is interesting. Yeah. So it's just it's an interesting change given kind of the history and these three kind of big changes and additions. But this is something that good thing you're listening because this is very impactful. If it's a round three ring, mm-hmm. you can feel completely comfortable to do a rotation and to touch a lot of the ring mm-hmm. uh, in order to do what you want to do. I'm really excited to see the competitive reaction to this and see if there are any changes to those end games and those rotations. I think that's probably the scene it's going to impact the most potentially. And it'll be cool to see um, if it's a positive or a negative thought at all with that one. Let's dive into the legends now. And this is what I think Henry and I anticipate more than potentially anything else when we get the patch notes. We're like, okay, what's happening? Are we getting any reworks? Are we getting any huge meta shifts that we can tell just from numbers? And so we're going to dive into this. It's always a fun one, starting with Bangalore. So this change impacted her ultimate rolling thunder, the rocket fuse is decreased by two seconds from eight seconds to six seconds. And so that's a 25% increase in the detonation speed of her rockets. Yeah. The devs really said nothing regarding Bangalore's position in the stats and really didn't say much about the change at all, only just that it is to encourage enemies to leave the area sooner. I think this one took us a little by surprise with the actual change it's made in gameplay thus far and early reaction thus far, but you're the more well-versed Bangalore player. So speak to this one a little bit. Yeah. We just did a mastering the legends on her, uh, spoke a lot about kind of the usage of this ultimate and how it's kind of a zoning ability. Uh, but this change is very noticeable. Um, the timing to get out of the area of effect is significantly faster. You have to get out of there. You know, a lot of players don't see, uh, rolling thunder as a threat they kind of just say okay i got time to get mm-hmm. out of here you don't anymore you just straight up don't um and so it's interesting because initially uh, i was kind of hesitant to embrace this change as a as a net good for bangalore because i thought the duration of her ultimate was actually something that played into its strength that you can draw a line over a big area and say do not come through here mm-hmm. for a very significant time compared to other damage dealing ultimates So I was kind of hesitant to see uh, that being shortened, but the fact that it just is going to explode faster, I think is going to get you more stun. Not as concerned about the damage. You will do more damage now, but Mm -hmm. that's not really the goal. It's to stun, and you're going to be doing that more, and I think you're going to maybe have a net increase in the actual 
length of effect of this ultimate. Mm -hmm. It is kind of disappointing that they didn't uh, come in with some numbers to defend Bangalore Mm -hmm. um, to kind of just say, hey, she's in a good place. Uh, They didn't do that. So interesting. But overall, I think this is a noticeable change. Um, It is a buff. Um, I think we should be happy with it. Definitely. Yeah. Let's move on to Caustic now. Uh, Nox Gas Trap and the Nox Gas Grenade. Uh, Legends no longer get Blurred Vision effect while in the gas, and the damage has been updated from 4 damage to 10 for each tick, uh, and it has now starts at 6 and goes up to 12 per tick of damage. This was, I think, the biggest surprise that we had. Was we weren't really expecting any Caustic Thoughts at yeah. all. Yeah, near the end of the last season, there really wasn't much talk about Caustic. It wasn't kind of all over social media, and mm-hmm. so it kind of went by the wayside, even though there was no nerf from him mm-hmm. uh, when he was really at his peak. Um, but the dev said that the gas is a very frustrating thing to go against an Apex, maybe the most frustrating thing. But changing that is very difficult since the gas must represent a meaningful threat in order to be effective. Uh, otherwise, people will just ignore it. Uh, but having that blurred vision and the blurred reticle uh, on your weapon made it very difficult to fight back. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what they said, and that's kind of their rationale for removing it. Um, There's still green smoke and gas. It's similar to Bangalore smoke on the HUD, kind of how the smoke actually comes to the screen, Um, but it doesn't blur your vision anymore. Um, It still does slow you, um, but I think this is kind of a toss-up. I'm kind of uh, confused on it, but to go a little bit deeper into it, that, so it's kind of like a give and a take. They took away the blurred vision and they gave it a little bit more power and damage. So let's just say that you're in gas for three seconds, solid amount of time. You're trapped, you got gassed. Used to be that that was going to do 15 damage, four plus five plus Mm -hmm. six. Now it's 21 damage, six plus seven plus eight. That's a 40% increase to damage. You know, none of these uh, ultimates are necessarily supposed to be killing uh, players, but that is a lot of damage increase. And so I think that's probably felt. But our initial thoughts overall are that the opacity of the actual gas is much less than what Bangalore smoke is now, and visibility is much easier. And so, you know, I don't know if it's just... I've been playing so much with gas, you know, throughout my whole life (laughs) that it like that blurred really, I think, affected me more than actually the speed. Because right now, you know, we've engaged with a couple caustics and I just feel like I'm Superman. Like I can Mm -hmm. see everything and it's not that impactful. So I like the idea of it because I agree it was very frustrating. But I feel like the opacity has to be increased uh, just because I feel like I have so much vision through the gas and that kind of goes against the purpose maybe. Yeah. And it's been weird because I think it's hard to analyze the change on this uh, legend on this map specifically. I've just really from first perspective felt like, okay, Caustic, this map is not as built for him. And so I think... I wonder what they're going to look at from a data perspective with that and if we're going to see any more changes, but hopefully they figure it out and hopefully we learn more about this one over some time because this is probably the one we know the least about. Let's now dive into Mirage. Uh, Psych Out and Life of the Party decoys now have 45 health. 
Uh, the dev said that they hope to make decoys more confusing to enemies, but they will not work as a shield. The damage will instead pass through the decoys, meaning that a decoy is if a decoy is hit, the damage will be done to a player standing right behind. Oh, this has been a weird one. This is another yeah. weird one. Mirage, very hard to balance. We were almost kind of anticipating a rework uh, to their ultimate. Mm -hmm. um, our big call, I think, for increasing Mirage's power is to focus on the duration of his invisibility when activating his ultimate. Right now, you're only invisible for one second. If that was bumped up to maybe three, um, that would give you more opportunity to reposition, uh, perhaps. But this change, will it make Mirage stronger? Unclear. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, a guaranteed yes. And so that probably means it defaults to a no. Um, have played a decent amount of Mirage and, you know, uh, reference to how much I've played in general this season because I was so curious. Um, people definitely shoot at the decoys. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's a fun legend. It's just hard to say. What's your goal with Mirage? You know, he's kind of, you know, down there at the bottom. What do you want to do with Mirage? Give him more team utility, give him more, you know, one-on-one -on -one power. Not really sure, and I don't know what this is actually achieving necessarily. We'll get into goals in a little bit, but yeah, Mirage has been interesting, and I think one of the changes they wanted with this was to avoid the spray down of the ultimate, supposedly, and that was something that Henry and I didn't really do, so we can't speak to if that one yeah, is going to be a big it. impact. I never saw it, never did it, of when a Mirage would trigger their ultimate, just spray down all the decoys so that you only had... Uh, the real Mirage left. That's no longer possible. Um, but I never really grasped that as a strategy that mm -hmm. happened to me or I saw or I did. So we'll see. Let's talk a bit about Octane now. Swift Men passive got a bit of a change, doubled the healing rate from half a hit point to one hit point or one health point per second. Devs. Fun one. Octane is a legend for players who like to go fast, run face first into the enemy, and get knocked down a lot. We think that's absolutely fine. The fact that his trio's win rate isn't great doesn't really bother us because both his encounter win rate, think of that as his ability to score knockdowns, and his pick rate are very healthy. This was an interesting Good change. Quote. So that's Good straight quote. from the people in charge. The change itself was really cool. Like it. You notice it a lot. The difference between half and a full is absolutely huge. And I think it's going to be really fun for the people that have been maining Octane for a long time. It's pretty much just a straight buff. Yeah, I I, I really like playing Octane mm -hmm. a lot. I don't necessarily think that Octane needs more power. I really don't. Um, you know, I think that they're very fun. They have a very balanced kit. It has, you know, cool power, very cool mobility. I like it, and I'm a big supporter of the jump pad. I think it's a great way to get around. I love the speed of it. I love the charge of it. It's great. Double jump, excellent. Um, but hearing kind of this perspective of the change is definitely interesting. Um, hearing that the devs don't want to give Octane any more team utility to win more games is too bad, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, not to be negative, but that's just kind of too bad to hear. Um, you know, it's. It's okay um, to see that the devs realize that Octane is this crazy daredevil that leaves his team and dies and they're okay with that. You know, that's fine. That's play style. We talk about different legends, getting buffs, um, and just pick rate. You know, if somebody wants to play Mirage, that's a very specific play style. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily that it has less or more power. It's you have to play that very different. 
same goes for Octane. Like that's a play style. Like it's kind of like Octane isn't a legend. It's a lifestyle, mm-hmm. essentially. That's kind of the vibe. And, and they're embracing that. And I'm okay with that. Um, but it's just sad to hear them kind of admit and to say point blank, hey, not going to give them team utility. And so we're okay encouraging an Octane not to stay with their team. Yeah. And that's kind of sad in a team-based game. Mm-hmm. We've always heard the, okay, I'm playing with a random Octane. Okay, we're playing two on three the rest of the game. And the devs pretty much confirm there's a lot of truth to that. And that's kind of sad, like you're saying. But yeah, we'll see if um, they ever change their minds about anything because we know that they've changed their minds about a couple of things over the course of this game. Yeah. Uh, we have a little idea from a Patreon. His name is Liam. And let's dive into that one. Yeah, so this is an idea that kind of speaks to that. Give Octane some team utility. Um, just to kind of show that it is possible. So again, this comes from Liam. Um, swap his ultimate for his tactical, allowing him to deploy the jump pad as his tactical ability with a high cooldown. Uh, we're not trying to spam jump pads, but in comparison to Horizon, you know, anything's possible. Um, then buffing his stem to have some sort of aura effect that increases all types of movement speed from running to climbing, sliding for himself and his team. Um, this would be the ultimate. So instead, mm-hmm. don't just stem yourself, stem everybody is essentially what it is. Um, this could cost 20 to 50 health from Octane, only allowing his passive to still be somewhat linked to his abilities. Kind of confusing to wrap the passive in there. Potentially that could be changed. Um, but if that sounds OP, could perhaps buff enemies if uh, they're also within the range of Octane uh, when they activate it. Definitely this open to interpretation, but really think Octane would be more viable as a team player, especially in ranked. Could give a third option for team movement being an addition to current Wraith Pathfinder options. Yeah. My first, like the idea. Yeah, my first thought with this one was that kind of passive thing. I had concerns. I'm like, oh, well, how often are you going to be using this ultimate? And then the passive really isn't as impactful. But I, I do love this kind of concept of Octane giving teammates stim boost in a way. And I always thought the easiest answer was if a teammate uses a jump pad, they get a little boost. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, right now, you know, Horizon picks up her teammate. She says, hey, I'm going to grab high ground. Come with me. And right now, Octane says, I'm going to go fast. See ya. Mm-hmm. So, you know, changing that to say, hey, I'm going to go fast. Come with me could be a little bit better. But disappointing to see that they aren't really considering that as an option. I like that one for sure. Let's talk about Watson now. Quick little change. Perimeter security, the fences or the tactical. Increased damage per touch from 10 to 15. Uh, devs believe this will increase her pick rate in pubs and below platinum level ranked. We probably don't think we're going to see that change. They're really specific about what they thought this might do, that smart players are not going to go into a fence. And so this is really something targeted just just for intro-level players. I don't think it's going to change much, though, personally. Yeah, I don't think we need to spend much airtime on mm-hmm. it, even if you are a lower-level player and you want to go through a fence. So 5% damage is not going to affect anything. And so The thing I think I'll throw in real quick just about Watson is we have no complaints about her. Mm-hmm. Like she's awesome. She's great at what she does. She's essential in competitive play. They know that she's essential in high level level of ranked play. They know that that's what she is opposite of octane in a way. They said that as well. Yeah. And that's kind of what she does. She fills that role perfectly. We're at a point now with these legends. We have a lot of them 
not every legend can fit every role. Some need to do and be playable in certain situations. She's one of those. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to say something positive like you did about Watson, she's going to have a real role on this map. Oh, yeah. Controlling the phase runner Mm -hmm. is a big thing. Uh, Those long zips Mm -hmm. at Bonsai Plaza and Oasis, definitely very impactful. Mm -hmm. Those fences can help you to defend those areas. So, you know, she's good where she is. She has the power. It it was weird to hear this buff because I don't really know why, but it's cool. Let's talk global now. This is kind of a fun change that Henry and I are excited to talk a little bit about and change to the black market. Ammo taken no longer counts towards the black market's maximum amount of items that you can scoop up. Uh, So you can take all ammo within range of the black market. It's a lot of ammo that you can take. What are you? What are your thir- yeah. first thoughts? What are Let's your first break thoughts? It down. Let's this break is going to be a couple minutes on Loba, just because she's fascinating. But she's a looter, and after season six, when they gave her a fifty percent increase of the size of her passive and ultimate, plus a reduced cooldown from three minutes to ninety seconds, with right off the drop having a forty-five second cooldown, she is an incredible looter, the best in the biz. Full stop. Now, taking ammo is a main component of that ultimate for my use, and now it's free. Um, that makes her just so much better than what she was before, honestly, mm-hmm. you know? Making sure that the team has what they need and can rotate through unlooted areas fast is her strong suit. Um, something that we have kind of struggled in the past to line up with Loba is. Say you're in a fight, you wipe them, you have three bins. Does putting down the black market speed up the process? Yes or no? Well, traditionally we've said no because you need a lot of things. You need an armor swap. You need ammo. Mm -hmm. You need heals. And then you might need to switch a gun and get extended max. That's like five or six things, and you only have two. Mm-hmm. So even if you put down the black market, you still have to check all three boxes, essentially, in order to fit those five or six things. But now that you got this whole unlimited ammo grab, I can see using that you know, after a fight to speed up the looting process as a lot more effective. If you can just easily top off everybody's ammo really fast, armor swap, and then grab an extended mag or a bat or something... That's perfect. Yeah. Like that actually speeds it up. That makes her a faster looter in that situation, which is something that she was lacking. She's a fascinating legend because she's the best at what she does, which is get loot to the team. And it's kind of interesting to see this. Okay, this does this strategy work in Apex? How powerful do we have to make it for it to be impactful? And they're kind of trying to figure that out, it seems, because it's really, really good. It's amazing if this is what you want out of a legend. The question just now is, do I want this out of a legend? Do I want to grab loot versus have like a movement or a damage dealer or a combat disruptor of some sorts? And so it's kind of like those two things going against each other. It's going to be interesting to see, does this do it? Does it need more? I don't know. Yeah, and it's just an interesting thought experiment. This is a BR. Loot is a very impactful thing. Pre-Loba, did you have an issue with loot? Yes or no? Personally, no. Mm-hmm. Like, loot bodies, not buildings. I'm all set. Yes, sir. Loba is a very good looter, but 
if you didn't need her in the first place, why are you going to choose her now? And, you know, a lot of people are concerned that now with this change, even the developer in charge of it was like, oh, now people are going to instantly pop down the ultimate and suck up all the ammo. That's potentially bad. I'm not necessarily worried about it. I don't think that Lobas are going to surge. Like, I think that this is a good ability. That is a good ability. It's okay. You can have a lot of power in that area and it can still maintain the game. I'm not worried. But if you didn't have a problem with loot and then you want to play Loba and she's a little bit better of a looter and that's nice, then you look at the tactical and you're just kind of disappointed because it doesn't compare with the other mobility legends. And we, the problem is, is we thought it was going to compare. Mm-hmm. That's like our expectation was that. And they've pretty much not talked about it that much. And then the guy that made this recent, most recent change did say that maybe they'll look at it if this doesn't accomplish what they want. What that is, is probably so far from the expectation that people want and have. She's not a movement legend. I think that's the thing that needs to be rung true with people. Yeah, exactly. And it's just not as versatile Mm -hmm. as other mobility legends, which is something I really harp on, that versatility translates directly to power. And, you know, in a certain situation, when Loba is behind cover and wants to move to another place behind cover, she's the best ever. Like, fantastic. No risk. It is telegraphed, but you can get a really good distance. You're totally safe. Um, Even better than, you know, kind of like a race portal or a grapple. Um, you're not hurting yourself with Octane, but it's just so situational and that kind of hurts her. So it's gonna, she's a very interesting case study. It's clear to me that the developers consider her to be a looter. And right now she is a fantastic looter. Definitely. So I want to play her more. I think that she's fun, but comparing her to other mobility legends, she just does not compete. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's not not her purpose, like we've been saying with Octane and Watson. These legends are starting to come into this area where everybody has a purpose. Now, can we create a game or have a game that's structured where you can go about winning in different routes? The question of that in the upper high levels of ranked and competitive play is probably not, honestly. And I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. You've never had a big problem with that. We know a lot of people complain about the, there's no diversity and such. It's a BR. There needs to be some lack of RNG somewhere for these people that are going at it to win thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. So I don't know if we're seeing Loba in the competitive scene anytime soon. Maybe we do someday. It could be fun. Any other thoughts though? I think that's a wrap on her. Awesome. Let's talk about Rampart now. Uh, two changes to her. Sheila now takes 1.25 seconds to fully spin up, down from two seconds. And the Amped Wall now takes three seconds to fully bin, build, down from four seconds. Uh, the devs say that Rampart should remain the legend that requires a defensive setup, but these changes make her do it a bit faster. A 25% reduction of the build time and a 60% faster spin up time. Henry and I aren't the biggest Rampart fans, if we're being honest. Not to say she's bad at what she does. We just don't play that way personally. Yeah. Um, but I I do like the amped wall change a lot. I think that's the one I've noticed playing with Rampart and against Rampart a couple of times thus far uh, early in the season. Yeah. Both of these changes are definitely impactful. You know, making it build amped cover 25% faster is significant and almost cutting 
the spin-up time and half of Sheila is significant, um, we're really hopeful that, you know, this does make her better at what she does. Mm -hmm. And that's area denial. The interesting thing about Rampart is that, you know, now she has the option to use it on a high-speed vehicle and give her that mobility. You know, this is a lot different because traditionally Rampart, you know, has to set up and that's why we don't really gravitate towards her because she has to stay in a fixed location to play to her kit. Now, maybe with vehicles, she has a lot more flexibility to bring together speed and the power of a unlimited ammo, Mm -hmm. heavy machine gun. Still interesting, not really solidified yet, but I think these changes definitely make her better at what she does. We'd just love to hear from maybe some listeners about, do you play Rampart a lot? Is she your main? How is it playing into that play style? It's just mm-hmm. so radically different than every other legend we play and just our play style. So it's hard to really embrace her, but I'm excited to see how she plays with the Trident. Mm-hmm. And I think this buff is noticeable playing with her. Definitely. Let's now talk about Pathfinder. Two big changes to Pathfinder. We're going to start with the negative. There was a hitbox change. Increased the legs, the arms, and the core torso size ever so slightly. Uh, the season six change to his tactical increased his win rate by 1%. And they've kind of stated that they want to bring that down in a way. Yeah, this is a confusing one. This they is want a confusing one. And they want to bring down his win rate. They think it's out of control. Mm-hmm. That's what they said. Yes, which is frustrating, though, is the problem. It is slightly a problem. And now, yeah. why legend changes happen is something that we are very, very connected to on a logical and emotional level. Because we want to be able to play legends at their best and explain what's happening in the world of Apex to you guys. But if you're concerned with Pathfinder's win rate and you have the aim of bringing it down, then why Pathfinder? Mm-hmm. Is it because he's the best? Okay. Maybe, but he's the second best Mm -hmm. in pick rate and win rate and things like that. Wraith is number one. So why not nerf Wraith then at all? And then if you're concerned with taking down the best to peg and you're looking specifically at win rate as the metric, then why do you care about Pathfinder's win rate, but then proudly say that, hey, Octane's win rate is low, but we don't really care very much. What's the goal of legend balancing? Is it to just bring down those at the top? No, because then you'd want to bring down Wraith. Mm -hmm. Is it to bring people up and win rate specifically? No, because Octane was rejected to have that. So what's really the goal here? What, like, I was kind of shocked when they added the survey beacons because they said, we want to bring Pathfinder pick rate down Mm -hmm. and increase the pick rate of Bloodhound and Crypto. And to me, that blew my mind because the play styles could not be different. And just saying, okay, if you nerf Pathfinder, the people that stop playing him are going to pick up Crypto for some reason. No, Mm -hmm. but that was kind of what they announced as their goal for that change surrounding the survey beacon. Very interesting. Interesting intentions behind it. What are your thoughts? The love for Wraith is just a little frustrating. And that's the Pathfinder, biggest Pathfinder fan out there. I love him. Mained him for the longest time. It's kind of sucks to see them continue to mess around with him in this way and say these things when we've clearly just got Wraith, who is 
pretty much looked upon differently. And we don't know the reasons. Maybe we'll find out someday. Um, and we'll see more in the future. It just kind of sucks because they even mentioned like when they made the hitbox chain or running animation change to Wraith, they're like, maybe this will let us bring in more power. And we're like, well, what if, she got, if she got brought down by a substantial margin, she would still be top. Yeah. And that sucks because now we're bringing down path, giving them a little bit of a change in the grappling hook, which we'll talk about here now. But and it does suck to say they want to bring that down, but not others. Very disappointing. And we've said it before in discussing balancing. I am okay with one legend being picked way more than other legends. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not really focused on the power. I'm focused on the play style. And if people like to play as Spider-Man, let them play as Spider-Man. I think that's pretty much okay. Bring up the power of other legends to maybe counter that. But don't hurt what players want to play by attacking what they think is fun from a play style perspective. I think that's a very weird way to approach it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I'm just... Fascinated by that, but that's the kind of uncertainty, weird stuff. Let's go into the very positive things associated with Pathfinder this patch. Yep, his grappling hook got a pretty good amount of changes. Four to be exact, the first of which being Pathfinder no longer needs to hit the ground to finish his grapple. Very cool. Second, Pathfinder's movement speed that determined the end of his grapple changed from 300 units a second to 500 units a second. Essentially, this means his grapple cooldown will begin much faster, almost double from what it was prior. This is something that people were really talking about after the last change. They're like, you gave a buff to path, but now I have even longer cooldowns than before sometimes. This was one of the ways they went about addressing this. Coupled it with the third change in that the max cooldown is now set to 30 seconds, down from 35 seconds plus a max time traveled of five seconds before the cooldown timer begins. So you can no longer have a grapple that's more than 35 seconds. Everyone's fresher with their 40-second cooldown. They very much addressed it. We were curious how they were going to do it. It makes a lot of sense thus far. Last but not least, the amount of distance traveled for a maximum cooldown was more than doubled. Cliff notes. Pathfinder grapple, really, really, really good again. Yeah, and I love how they changed it. I think they did a really good job rather than just saying cool down, cool down, cool down. This was the deepest explanation we've gotten of a legend's ability being changed. And I think that was very nice for you and I who love communication and seeing, okay, this is why they're doing it. And this is how they're doing it. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And essentially to boil it down, The first thing they did was they made it a mathematical impossible to hit a 35-second grapple or more, Mm -hmm. so that's good. And then they just made it so that the cooldown is going to start much, much faster, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be half of what it was before. Mm -hmm. So the cooldowns are going to be a lot less in distance traveled, affecting it, and the time that it takes to trigger the cooldown. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I can say the last season after they did the last change uh, with the new prorated uh, sort of cooldown mm-hmm. strategy, we were liking it. You know, it mm-hmm. gave you the ability to take those quick high grounds again, which was very nice. But a consistent solid grapple was still about 25 seconds. Mm-hmm. 
which I was pretty much okay with, honestly. I mm-hmm. think that's a good tactical. Now, you know, playing some path, I'm getting those 15, 20 second uh, grapples that are pretty hefty, uh, pretty standard now. So mm-hmm. this is a significant buff by the numbers and by the feel um, and a very good thing for Pathfinder. Hitbox things are kind of up in the air right now, mm-hmm. but if you're flying through the air, hopefully that's not a problem. Yep. Thank you to everyone for sticking with us. We're going to wrap it up now by talking about the weapons. First and foremost, big change. R99 has been put back onto the ground. Thoughts? Yeah, so <laughs> this, is, this is very exciting. And in Season 6, when the R99 went into the care package, the Volt came into the game, really replaced the R99 in use Based off of game statistics, the developers said that the Volt kind of just slid right in and replaced uh, mm-hmm. the R99. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see this season, now that they're going to be right next to each other, which one is favored. Um, we're certainly going to be breaking this down in an upcoming episode, mm-hmm. kind of the fight between them, why you would choose them, the differences between them. Um, but now that the R9 is back on the ground, the damage is reversed from what they did to put it in the package. Um, body damage is now 11 and the mag size is back to 20, 22, 24, and 27. And in its place, we got the prowler. The prowler goes. We were very sad for this one. You know, if you've been with us for a while, prowler has been preached since season three, maybe as a really, really good weapon. Select fire was also removed from the ground, but it will be toggled in the actual care package prowler. The only really big change they did, 35 mag at the most, and so, or not even at the most, just 35 mag since the red weapon, legendary weapon. Uh, no change in stats, though, 175 ammo. It still shreds. I've gotten it twice now since the care package, and oh my goodness, we even saw somebody pass on the Prowler in the I care package. I don't know package, what's wrong with them. And they died soon thereafter they did. to the Prowler. So they, they made a mistake there, no doubt. This whole rotating things in and out of the care package we've kind of just come to terms with that's just how it goes in a way we would still love to talk to somebody about what really goes into it are we ever going to see the pk back are we ever going to see anything like that especially now that we're changing hop-ups along with it and that's really altering the loot pool in a way major impact on loot pool i'm glad i'm glad they learned from their mistake though with putting the peacekeeper in and having the choke still on the ground Mm -hmm. for the triple take um, cause it would have been the exact same thing with the havoc in that even if you use the havoc, nobody's using the select fire on the havoc. So now we have a useless hop up, uh, kind of having an impact on the loot pool in a negative way. Exactly. Good stuff. Next, we have the gold weapons for the season, the wingman, the sentinel, the havoc, the G7 and the alternator. I know you're a little disappointed with the G7 scope that is on the gold one. Yeah. You know, it's a two by four. I'm trying to warm up to it. You know. I prefer the two times bruiser, um, but the two to four does give you a lot more versatility and it's still, you know, two times magnification so I can work with it. You know, I don't freak <laughs> out about the hollow or stage cog on the one times. Mm-hmm. Like I'm cool with either. Um, but yeah, that was kind of a long shot. Me wanting the bruiser <laughs> on there. And also we had changes to the hemlock increased burst recoil, reduced the hemlock headshot multiplier from two to 1.75, meaning the damage goes from 44 to 39, it's overall 12% damage reduction. Have you noticed a significant change with this one at all in use? Uh, no. So that's a very small change to the specific headshot multiplier. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and the hemlock still shreds, the burst recoil, uh, I cannot feel any noticeable mm-hmm. difference whatsoever. Still shreds on burst, and it's an absolute monster on single fire as well. Hemlock is an incredible weapon. Um, I very much like it, and it was not destroyed in any means. No, very far from it. We now have the Havoc with an updated recoil pattern. Now it is supposed to kick up, then right, then left, and then back up again. We are still far from the Havoc that we loved back in Season 4, 5. Is the gun usable? I'll ask you the question straight up. Yeah, so if you ask me if it's usable as an an AR, Mm -hmm. I say no. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have the range. Every other AR has significantly better range than this weapon. Up close, is it good? Like as an SMG? Probably not. Mm-hmm. You know, unless In comparison you have the to the other charger, ones, though. Yeah, unless you have the turbocharger, um, you know, and you're pre-firing a little bit to offset the charge up. Um, it is, it's not very good, honestly. It really isn't. I can't actually pick out where the actual recoil pattern was changed. Um, it sounds kind of intense. But essentially, you're going straight up with kind of that hesitation at the beginning, and then you're just jogging to the right just a little bit, and then jogging back to the left, and then up again. So it's kind of like you have that hiccup in the middle of your clip, mm-hmm. um, but just the gun shakes so much, and the muzzle flash is so significant, and the range, the you know, the lasers um, seem to spread out at distance. You really mm-hmm. have that really fast drop off to the reliable range. I think it's a really tough AR. To work with, um, I don't think it's back on my favorites list from this change. It's just tough because I'm still at the point with it where if I got a turbo, I'd rather have the devotion. If I don't, I'd rather have the volt. Yeah, and so all day. It's just tough to see where is its role. Another energy weapon though that got a change was the L Star, which got a recoil change, horizontally kick, then fairly consistent upward pattern. Uh, another change to the venting as well while feathering the trigger reduced it from 0.4 to 0.15 seconds and reduced the heat faster so if not overheated so going from 1.15 seconds still 2.45 seconds if overheated i've actually felt this one a little bit yeah i I think our biggest issue with the l-star was the muzzle flash which hasn't been changed at all but the feathering you can feather and successfully not just kill one person, but deal damage to another person as well if you're feathering it correctly. High skill cap gun to use though in that way, but I think it has a even a bit more of a role than the Havoc potentially at this point. So I agree. This is a very fascinating weapon. You know, having no clip uh, is really interesting. Um, but I think exactly what you said, that venting, of the weapon that kind of in between every time you release the trigger it does a little like um, vent Mm -hmm. of smoke that got cut by more than half and that really allows you to deal consistent damage while not overheating the weapon Um, and it's very cool so I think the L-Star is in a very cool place it's by far one of the most unique weapons in the game Um, but now it's not a complete pass by Mm -hmm. Um, you know not quite convinced it can be brought into the late game, but you can work with this weapon and it's very unique. Early game, this gun still shreds more than anything. It does. Let's talk Sentinel now. No more disruptor rounds, uh, dealing the max shield damage. Instead, Energized Sentinel 2 cells increases body damage from 70 to 88, which is a 25% increase. 
This was one of those changes we were a little confused by. I know you've dove into it a little bit deeper, though. Yeah, so if you're not aware, the Sentinel can be charged up by putting two cells, two shield cells, into the weapon. This takes a fair amount of seconds. Um, But when you did, you had disruptor rounds. So any shot, whether it was on the finger or the chest or whatever, dealt maximum shield damage. So if somebody's had red armor, you were doing 125 damage a shot. Um, This is also, you know, a high power uh, bolt action sniper rifle. So it does 70 base, which is, you know, up there. Um, Triple take's not far behind by hitting all three shots for 69, but that's where the Sentinel was. It was very cool to be able to spend the cells in order to deal a ton of damage while requiring less accuracy. Mm -hmm. So it was a very cool place, but really we struggled to use it. It wasn't very used abroad. And now that concept of the Sentinel being very good against red armor, and that really only happens late game, people having red armor, and snipers are very hard to carry into the late game, plus the fact that red armor is likely going to be decreased a lot because of the changes to it, something had to be done to the Sentinel. So now if you charge up the Sentinel, because of that 25% increase when it's energized by two cells, Mm -hmm. you can one-shot headshot an enemy with blue shields. 175 damage headshot is a serious hit. Even if they have purple, that leaves them with 25 health after that header. You know, this perhaps will push the Sentinel uh, to be something similar to a traditional high-powered bolt-action sniper. Mm -hmm. Still takes those two cells that I know is a very high cost to bear, and I love shields too, but I'm feeling like the cards might be right for the Sentinel to become a little bit more noticeable. You know, now that everybody has more bats, maybe they're more willing to, you know, use some cells. And the fact that those headshots really do uh, do some serious damage in the mid game could put a good usage of the Sentinel, Mm -hmm. I think. I think that it could have a better purpose now. Definitely. Speaking of the snipers, let's talk about the triple tick. We had the fire rate reduced from 1.3 to 1.2, back to its season five status. Great weapon, still absolutely shredding. The choke being ingrated into it has been absolutely amazing for this gun. Have you felt any difference or noticed anything? It's a fantastic weapon. It just does so much damage and it shoots so much faster than the Sentinel. So it's solid. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Last but not least, we have a new hop up, the quick draw holster for the Wingman and RE45. The gun becomes quicker to raise and lower, takes less time to aim down sights, and has reduced hip fire spread, protect, particularly when not actively moving. Interesting hop up. I've noticed it a little bit, but it's not anything significant. Like, it's not going to change anything, but the purpose of it essentially was to make these wingman and these other guns uh, a more effective secondary gun in fights to be able to whip them out quicker. And whether it accomplishes it or not, I think is... Uh, We'll find out over the course of the season, I think. Yeah, hop-ups are really a fascinating thing to both Shay and I. You know, what should a hop-up be? Should it completely transform a weapon? Should it make it a lot better? Should it just make it different or more fun? You know, what weapons should get hop-ups? You know, pistols already had the fastest ADS and, Mm -hmm. you know, movement. So did they need a change to that or something? Interesting. Definitely a question. Cool new hop-up. Kind of an unknown. Uh, impact at this point. Yep. Let's dive now into some of the other changes and additions for this season, starting with 
the battle pass change. Yeah, so the battle pass progression is now awarded as stars or full battle pass levels as opposed to challenge points before and different combinations of experience points or XP. Each star is now one-tenth of a battle pass level and each star fills up in a slot on the star meter. So when the meter is full, the level is awarded and the meter is reset. This makes it a lot more easier um, and just simpler to view partial progress towards the next level and to see challenges um, is a really cool concept. Just simplification of the process. And another big change is that challenges are now visible in-game while looking at the map. This is something that you know a lot of people wanted to be able to check their progress, mm-hmm. check what their challenges were, not just in the lobby, and now you can do that. There's some rumors that this change has made it harder to progress through the battle pass. Um, we'll speak to it maybe in a week or two after going through it ourselves and seeing if there's actually any significant change at all. Uh, some other changes to the game, mid-game drops UI, so the beam color of these kind of items that come in from the sky. Uh, the normal care package drops are now a light tan, lifeline care package drops are blue, and replicator drops are teal. Uh, this is the same with their on-the-ground icon, you know, before they land. Respawn beacons are still the green beams when activated, and then, you know, trident, lifeline packages, replicators, they're still pretty similar in color, and it's nothing like crazy, crazy noticeable. I have noticed the care package, though, the normal one being that a different color. definitely stands out. Definitely. Also, we had new voice lines for using Phoenix kits added to the game. Uh, one of my favorite changes, the Arc Star model is now shown when one is thrown near you instead of a grenade. I don't know if that's going to change any way how I play at all, but I actually really like the it's change. It's a good thing. It looks good. Yeah. Phoenix kit, voice line, very big deal. You mm-hmm. know, you should be telling your teammates when you're using a Phoenix kit, now your legend does it. That's 10 seconds you're out of the fight. That's critical information. So I mm-hmm. like that voice line change. You can now ping ammo in your inventory to request more from your squad. So essentially you can now ping and ask for ammo that you might not be having for the gun you're currently carrying. So if you want to really prepare your team to tell you that I'm really looking for that volt, but I still have two light guns, you can still ask for that energy ammo. Uh, one of our favorite ones uh, regarding attachments, when replacing an attachment with one from the ground, if the old attachment is an improvement for your other weapon, the old attachment will get automatically transferred. I can't believe this one took so long. Yeah, it's, it's about one. time. I like this change a lot. It just makes looting a lot easier, um, less kind of, of swapping weapons in order to drop things, pick them back up. It's a lot better. Mm-hmm. And then we made modifications to the ring to reduce the amount of unplayable space in the circle. I hope it works. We'll see it. They've said it before that they've done it and there were still some issues after they did that. So hopefully this is going to be good and true. And last but not least, we cannot say that the battle pass level 50 octane skin and the R99 reactive level 100 and 110 skins are amazing. They're pretty awesome. I like the octane skin a lot. I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun to get that, play with it. looks great. Yep. Wrapping up now with some questions. If you want a question answered on the show, leave a five-star review. This question is coming from Jay. How can I get better at not overanalyzing situations? Since when I play pubs, I feel confident, but when I play ranked, I seem to come short and make bad decisions, mostly too aggressive like I am in pubs. Yeah, really great question. Um, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with. Um, you know, being too aggressive is hard because even in 
ranked, you want to put the pressure on. You want to end fights quickly. So aggression is sometimes very much rewarded. But I think with playing ranked, patience, you know, being very patient, picking that positioning. And now that you have these tridents, which is a big change, you can pick those fights a lot easier, I think. And so being patient, using positioning, focusing on, you know, end ring and your position in the match, not necessarily kills, um, is going to definitely be rewarding when playing ranked. We talk about ranked a lot on the pod, different strategies, different legends. So stay tuned. Mm -hmm. We talk about it a lot, but those are just some initial stabs at trying to make those better decisions. Focus on positioning over kills. Yep. And play with a team. Play with a team that's willing to call you out and in a positive or negative way, but more so help you make those choices, you know, and so it doesn't just come down to yourself. The more voices, the more opinions, uh, the better off you're going to be. Run a little democracy in your team. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this long, long season introduction episode. It's always a great time. Uh, Subscribe to us on Apple Pods. Leave us a uh, follow on Spotify. Check us out with a five-star review with your question. We'll answer it on our next episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Third Party Pod. Sub to our YouTube channel, Third Party Podcast, and stop by our weekly stream. Check out the Discord via the link in the description below to get involved over there. Thank you so much for listening to the Third Party Podcast. Peace. Hey now, another squad coming in. Boom, whole squad down. Hey, brother, not today. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs>